Hey, Adam Smolcom here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. Would you open your Bibles with me to Romans? I'm so excited, church. Here we go. Kicking off a brand new series officially today. One I've been really looking forward to called Free Destined, a series designed to tackle the tension between God's sovereignty and our free will. And uh, not only will this series take us all the way to the end of February, but I've organised some of my good friends uh, in ministry to come and participate in the preaching and teaching of this series over the coming weeks. And next week, in fact, my good friend Adam Maser is coming from all the way from Rancho Cucamonga. He's coming up north to the Bay Area to do some teaching, a great man of God that God's moving through in their church and having a profound effect. We've got a few of my friends in ministry are gonna come and participate in the preaching over this series. It's gonna be a treat. And I say that just so you know, you don't wanna miss one single week of this series. Every single week of this series is gonna be rich, deep theology. Let me give you a teaser by telling you our series verse, Romans 8.28, it says this, and we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son so that that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Over this series, we're gonna be tackling topics such as calling, inheritance, favour, election, decision and glorification. And today, I wanna focus in on the foreknowledge of God. I wanna do that with a sermon I'm entitling, It's Under Control. It's Under Control. Some of you need convincing by that reception that I just got to the title of my sermon, It's Under Control. In fact, why don't you do this to prepare your hearts for the Word of God? Why don't you find 17 people around you and tell them it's under control. Would you do that real quick? It's under control. Don't worry, it's under control. 17, go, 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 go. We're packed today. 17, let's go, let's go. Thank you, worship team. That was not 17. So I'm guessing this could be a pretty relevant question given the fact that we're seven days into a fast. But I'm wondering what's the hardest thing you've ever done? (laughs) Seven days into a fast, you might, how many people are fasting? I didn't get to see before when Vance asked us, how many people are fasting? Look at this church. Look Look at the righteous ones. Look at these people going after God with an appetite for Him. Seven days in, just water, things get a little hazy, physically, visually, but spiritually, Get clear. How many people know what I'm talking about? There is this, this, this exchange, people slumping in their chairs, holding, holding. You were trying to jump early. I saw a few people getting excited in the worship and then I might just calm it down a little bit. But I wonder what's the hardest thing you've ever done. I'll tell you mine and it's what I'm doing currently. I'm currently teaching two teenage girls how to drive. It ain't easy. Teaching somebody to drive is, 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 is a thing, but teaching two teenage girls had nothing to do with the girls, by the way, just let me get that out there. But, but 
But some things I've found come natural to one gender that may be unnatural to the other gender. I'm here to win friends right from the beginning. I'm a girl dad. I've had a long time in this field of study, so don't ridicule me. Do not criticise me. Keep your comments to yourself. Don't at me. I know girls. Got a bunch of them. Got three of them, three daughters, one wife. And I would like to tell you they're fantastic drivers. But it will never cease to amaze me that every time recently we get into the car to drive, I'll give them the simple instruction. All right, let's Let's go. We do the safety check. We do the seat belt. We make sure we check the mirrors. We go through all the, the protocols and the procedures. And then I say, all right, let's, let, let's, put some, let's put some gas on. Let's put the foot on the accelerator. And every single time they'll say, Dad, which one's the accelerator? <laughs> I ain't lying. Like every time they're like, oh, remind me, which one is the accelerator? I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Like up until there, I'm confident. At that moment, I'm freaking out. Like, because there's some things you should know. Like I'll give you a pass on the first time. But if I have to remind you if the left one's the brake and the right one's the accelerator, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. There are some things you should no, and I don't know where guys tend to learn this in life. Maybe it's gaming, maybe it's go-karts, maybe it's something, but I don't know. Maybe dads of, of sons could tell me if you have the same experience, but every time they'll say, Dad, which one is it? And I'm always like, you meant to, calmly, you meant to know this. Very calmly. And they always say, Dad, you're so calm. On the inside, I'm the screaming girl on the inside, every part. But, but there are some things you're meant to know. Essentially, this is what the apostle is suggesting to the church, by the way, in Romans 8.28. The way he starts it is kind of fascinating. He presents it from the framework of what we're already meant to know. What I mean is with this very familiar, at least well-known scripture, around God working all things in our life together for good, we find the Apostle begins the very passage in somewhat of a presumptuous way by starting with, and we know. As if to imply from the very beginning that at a foundational level, if you are a believer, it's not new information to you that God can work both the good things in your life that we experience and the bad things we experience in our life for our benefit. Now, of course, we know this, right? Like this isn't a surprise, or at least it's not meant to be. Just trying to read the congregation in the new year. This might be a surprise for some people. The apostle says we're meant to know. As, as a believer, you should know that because God is great, that your greatest mistakes don't determine your future. At a base level, you should know that that, 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 that with God, there, there is nothing that cannot be redeemed or brought about for His glory. You should know this. You should know, the reason we should know this is because we understand that God is sovereign. That God is big, God is sovereign. Now let me explain that for you. Let me explain for, for those that may not know here this morning, I thought maybe some more of us might have known. If you're new to Vive Church, I gotta let you know from the beginning of the year, I forgot to give you the instructions. We are a rowdy church. We like to participate. We believe that when you engage with the sermon, it's like, it, it's kind of like agreeing with a good meal. 
It's like, mm, let them know. Let the person next to you, you're eating good today. Let something come out. Don't, don't sit there stiff and quiet because that's often the indicator that, that, that this word is for you. <laughs> so just now and then, let a little mm, amen out as if it's for your neighbor. <laughs> Sometimes nudge them and say, did you get that? That's, that's, I love to do that work here. Did you? That was for you. But maybe I need to explain what I'm talking about when we talk about sovereignty because simply put, the sovereignty of God is probably the most important aspect of God and one of the most significant principles in Christian theology. It fundamentally means that God is preeminent in power, in wisdom, in authority. Psalm 147 puts it this way, great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. This means He can do anything He chooses at any time He chooses within creation. In fact, God isn't even limited to time because He exists outside of it. As Psalm 90 verse 2 says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So since God is sovereign, it means that He is omniscient, He's omnipotent, and has omnipresence. Which is why He not only rules the universe, but also why nothing happens within the universe without God's permission. In fact, not only without God's permission, but nothing happens without God's knowledge because He has foreknowledge. Are you with me? I'm trying to make this a seminar from the start, but I do want to give you some background theology that will help throughout this series. In fact, not only without God's permission and God's foreknowledge, but with God's will. God's will. God wills it and His will will be done. That's why we call it God's will, not God's won't, because <laughs> it will happen. Oh man, this is going to be hard today. I, I'm, I'm preaching the easy stuff. This isn't even the challenging stuff. This is the easy stuff to say amen to. This is like Christianity 101. That God wills it, it will come to pass. That God is faithful to fulfill His promises. That God is good on His Word. We know these things in the Word of God. Now this is His foreknowledge which refers to the omniscience of God, meaning He knows, it's actually different from His ability to see the future. God's foreknowledge is, is more of a, a true knowing of what will come to pass because it's, it has to line up with His will. So His foreknowledge isn't restricted to mere foresight of the future or future events. His Foreknowledge is more of a designing and a declaring and a foreordaining of all things past, present and future. In other words, if God decrees it, it's got to come to pass. God's Word does not return void. Everything it sets out to do, it will achieve. So when God speaks it, it's guaranteed. This essentially means that God's foreknowledge is not just intellectual or cerebral, it's also personal and relational. I don't know what pace to go at today. I'm gonna to just try and pace myself uh, just to make sure I get everyone going with us. It's the first sermon in the series. We've got a long journey ahead of us. I wanna make sure we portion out every pace that we take to make sure we track along and we build a good framework and a bedrock of what God wants to do in empowering the saints for a new year to get some knowledge in our mind, to get some understanding in our spirit in the way God works may just help us approach life differently. Yeah, so 
it may just help us approach life from a different perspective so that the things that got you upset and mad and, and confused in 2022, maybe you approach it with a different maturity in 2023 so that you see how God's gonna work them for you instead of work against you. See, when you don't know the way God works, it's easy to be surprised by things. Surprise, nice. It's easy to be confused by things. Like when you don't know the way God works, when you find yourself in trouble, you wonder what you did wrong. Now, let me not give you a full exit. Maybe you did do some things wrong. <laughs> but God. <laughs> Maybe there is some theology that may help with your fundamental approach to the way you walk out your faith in God. I want to make sure I keep everyone with us because what... What Paul is trying to achieve in Romans 8.28, what it reveals is the way God works towards those who are called according to His purpose for them. Now, all of this is, is, is ultimately what Paul is implying that we already know. We already know all this stuff I'm teaching you. I'm not teaching you anything new. This is fundamental faith stuff. We already know that God is big. We already know that God's got a way. We already know that God can redeem the past and bring about His future. However, what we might not know is how our free will works with His foreknowledge. Because if God already knows what I'm going to do before I do it, or on a deeper level, because He allows it, then is it really free will? <laughs> like if God already knows everything and He knows what I'm gonna do, what others are gonna do to me, then what I do, is it really me doing it or am I already fulfilling a pre-planned life? If God is sovereign and He's over everything, what do I have to do? Well, if we take this entire passage from Paul to the Romans and we give it a summary, we could actually summarize it as God is in control. That would be a good sentence to write down for all the note takers. I love the brand new journals, seeing the brand new 2023 journals, the crisp, fresh new page, your first entry today. Why don't you do a good job? If you need a pen, raise your hand. I'm sure someone around you will lend you a pen just to be taking notes from the first Sunday of the year. I can't guarantee that will get you any further in heaven, but it'll make you better on earth. Amen. God is in control which is essentially comforting for anyone who finds themselves in a situation beyond their control, amen? And so Paul is informing the Romans who are under great persecution for their faith that essentially God's got it. That's what he's trying to let them know is he's writing this passage to the Roman church. He, he, he's saying, I, I, I want you to know God's got it. I know you're in the epicenter of society. I know you're in the, the crucible of persecution. I know that Rome and, and the idea of Caesar is against the Christians and against the faith and there's persecution throughout the world. And I know you're right in the epicenter of it, but I want you to know that whatever you face, God's got it. I know you might've had some plans on how your life was gonna go. I know you might've even been subscribed to following God because you thought it was gonna be a shower of blessings, but guess what? I want you to know God's got it. God's got it. This is what He's trying to frame from the beginning for the church that God's got it. That's because His foreknowledge is so vast that nothing that happens is beyond His control to work out. So don't be surprised when you go through fiery trials. Don't be surprised when bad things happen to you. God's got a way of working it out. In fact, you can find great peace from the fact that God is in control. 
However, what you also need to understand is that while God is always in control, He is at no time controlling. Are you with me? Like, like, like we love the fact that God is in control, but I don't want God to be controlling. Don't worry, He ain't. Like if you think that, well, serving this God just means now I'm controlled, there's things like... Following Christ and being a Christian is a big list of things I can't do, what I'm not allowed to do, what I can't do because of all oh, the, 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 the moralistic side of Christian. God ain't controlling. He's in control, but He's not controlling. He's in control, but He's not. This might be a revelation to someone who thought that being in control was the same as controlling, but it's different. For example, when you're in control, you, you direct your emotions in any environment. Well, the controlling person has to change the environment to determine their emotions. Are you with me? Oh, I'm preaching so good, Kyle. Because the controlling person has to control everybody around them to make them feel good. But the person in control, doesn't matter who they're around, they're the same. They're consistent, they're stable, they're steadfast. There's a big difference between in control and controlling. Maybe you experienced this in Christmas with the family that, uh, let me not go there, let me back out. God's in control. He's in control because He's the same yesterday, today and forever. We just sang about it. And the reason He isn't controlling is because He gives control to us. I mean, if you were God and you ain't, but if you were, you wouldn't be able to help but be controlling. You'd control the outcome of every situation. You would control the way people talked to you, spoke to you, worshipped you. But God ain't controlling because instead of controlling us, He gives control to us. Oh, this is going to... We're about to go another little bit deeper, okay? Got the knees wet. Let's go in a little bit deeper into the river today. This is going to be so helpful if you can process this with me. The fact that God has given you control. You see, in His sovereignty, He has given us this thing called free will. Another way to look at it would be because everything is in control, He actually gives control over some things to us. For example, you might want to write these down. God gives us the ability to control our flesh. God gives us the ability to control our thoughts, certainly our emotions and even our desires. These are some of the things that God puts under our control. Essentially what the Bible calls self-control. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 puts it this way. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now self-control isn't just a token element of control that affects our day-to-day lives. When speaking to the Corinthians, what Paul emphasises is not only does he, he reveal that, that he models it himself, but he also reveals the weight behind this idea of self-control. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. He says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. In fact, this is why we do prayer and fasting, by the way, because it's another way that we, way that we exercise control over the flesh. It's, it's another way that you get dominance over what's trying to dominate you. Now, I'm not saying that your flesh is necessarily the evil thing, so don't eat because eating is evil. No, no, I'm not saying that at all. But your flesh craves sinful things. The Bible makes, makes that apparent, makes that very clear, in fact. 
And because your flesh craves sinful things, when you continually give into the flesh, you find yourself developing a pattern and a habit and wondering, how did I get here? Anybody ever been surprised by the scales? Like utterly shocked. I get here? Well, it's the patterns and the habits that our flesh dominated in us. And that's why we fast, because I'm going to break that habit. I'm going to break that pattern. Flesh, you submit to me. I don't submit to you. Oh, and the flesh screams at you. How many people know what I'm talking about? Like it yells at you, it screams at you, it tricks you, it lulls you, it makes excuses for you. It tells you, hey, it's Sunday. You should eat today because you're gonna sustain yourself for the people and the Word of God. You don't embarrass God, do you, by passing out on stage. You better eat today. No flesh, you will die. Give me my water. <laughs> but it will creep up on you. and it will, it will lull you. But that's why we fast, because we're getting control. We're regaining control. We're regaining control. Regaining control of the areas that have controlled us. The first few days of a fast, you find yourself thinking of nothing but food. Yeah, everyone's nodding so much. And you're wondering, why? Why does it dominate my thoughts? Because you were on autopilot before. You didn't have to think about food. Your body was leading you toward it. But, but when you break control, you realise, what else can I control? get a little power hungry. What else can I control? Maybe I could control my desires. Maybe I could get control in temptation. Maybe, just maybe what I thought was impossible before because I controlled one area of my life, maybe I can get other areas under control. <laughs> I'm going to take it as you're weak in the flesh from fasting and it's too hard to put two hands together and applaud great preaching. So I'll just keep on going. No, it's fine. 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 To Him be the glory. Jesus did this in the wilderness for 40 days, by the way. 40 days. Luke 4, Luke 4 records that it was actually pretty brutal as well because not only did He go without food for that crazy length of time, but He was also tempted by the devil. Luke 4, verse 1, I think I gave it to the team. And Jesus, for the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and He ate nothing during those days. Check this out. I love how, how blunt the Bible can be sometimes. And when they were ended, He was hungry. <laughs> Why waste words? 40 days he was hungry. Now what you need to understand is the very reason why Scripture doesn't emphasize the fact that he was famished. We all know he wasn't just hungry. I have the ability to eat a meal and right as I finish, I'm hungry. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Do I have any eaters in here? Yeah. So after 40 days of no food, he wasn't just hungry. I would dare say a more appropriate word would be starving. 
But the reason the Bible doesn't emphasise the physical feelings of Jesus in this moment, because He wasn't just getting control over the flesh, He was getting control over the devil. Because He didn't just go without food. The Bible says He was also tempted by the devil. He was exercising control over the flesh, yes, but He was also exercising control over the devil, which according to James chapter 4, verse 7, is something that we also have control over. You know the Scripture says, resist the devil and he will flee. That means that you also have control over the enemy. This is good preaching at the beginning of the year because some of you are intimidated by the enemy's control in your life, but you have control over the enemy. Maybe I should say the first part of James chapter 4, verse 7, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil and he will flee. There is a process that when I come in submission to God, I gain power to overcome, which has overcome me. So good. God gave you control over the devil. The devil doesn't have control over you. Just because you fall into temptation sometimes, don't give the devil credit for that. Making the devil so big in your world. Making the devil like this big Yeti that has power over you, that is mind gaming you and stalking you and waiting for you to slip up. No, no, you just, your flesh got you. Get back over your flesh and watch as you'll have strength over the devil as well. I'm so sick of believers making the devil to be this big, bad monster that's got dominance over you. You have authority in Christ Jesus. Bring everything under that authority. Resist him. Resist him. Resist him. Well, how do you fight the devil? Resist. Just resist. I mean, submit yourself to God and resist. Resist. So said, no, nah, I ain't doing that. That's spiritual warfare. Oh, you thought spiritual warfare was shut up unders and running around and slaying people and all that kind of stuff. It's literally like, no. Nope. Ain't doing it. Not today. I'm going to follow Jesus. I want to, but I won't. That's spiritual warfare right there. Going to God, getting on your knees. God, I surrender. Help me, Lord. Sustain me, God. The devil's at me. I feel it, but I'm going to resist it. I'm not doing it. So God gives us free will which we outwork in the form of control. Which is no wonder why then that anxiety takes hold of our life when we feel out of control. So how do we gain control when we feel like our life is out of control? Well, believe it or not, this is what Paul is revealing in Romans 8.29. He just so happens to do it with some heavy theological language. Check it out again, talking about the foreknowledge of God. He says, verse 29, for those whom He foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Makes sense, right? Well, if it doesn't, let me do my job as a Bible teacher and help you understand what this passage means and how it is actually the key to overcoming anxiety. Because Paul uses this scary word, predestined. Now, the way we often process the idea of predestination is that God has a pre-planned, destination in mind for us. Makes sense, it's in the Word. 
But just as Romans 8, 28 suggests that even when we get off track, because God is sovereign and ultimately in control, then like a spiritual GPS system, God has a way of getting us to our destination. Like, like there is a destination in mind. There's this picture, this plan that God has for us. And because we do our best, and because we're in the equation, we tend to make mistakes. Anybody ever made a mistake? Oh, that's how I get participation in the church. All right. <laughs> and because you make mistakes, instead of a derailment, it's more like a delay. That I'm still going to get there because God works all things together for my good. It's just might not have been the most optimal way. Like, like as if God is a, 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 a spiritual GPS system that when you take the wrong exit, He reroutes you to the destination. Might not get there on time, but you'll get there. That's how we often look at predestination. However, the problem comes with the fact that if God can reroute me, then why doesn't He just prevent the bad things from happening in the first, like, like if we're talking about this sovereign God who's big and he can reroute me and reroute me and reroute me, then why doesn't he just prevent it from happening and take me down the optimal path from the start? This presents the notion of prevention and intervention. Because while there are some things that we would love God to prevent from happening, our free will does not want God to intervene in our life. It creates a tension what Paul does is he presents a different orientation to the idea of being predestined because he adds context. He says, predestined to be conformed. Now, this actually reveals something that is easily missed. I need you to lean in on this. I can't just preach this at the top of my lungs. I need to dial it back a little bit. Because the biblical idea of predestined has less to do with destination has more to do with destiny. I know that predestination sounds like it's a destination, but it's actually predestiny. That God has a destiny in mind, even more than a destination in mind. This is going to be helpful for some people because maybe I could say it this way. God predestined, His predestined plan for you has less to do with where you'll end up and more to do with who you'll be when you get there. Some nods. Uh, maybe I need to reframe it. Like, like we're so focused on the destination. God, am I there yet? 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 The destination is always moving because it's not about where you'll end up, but who you'll be when you get to the place of effectiveness. I, I, so that destination might be a decade away. That destination might be two decades away. But what I do between here and that so-called destination is more important to God than where I am in life, but who I am in life and how life shapes me and uses me because He's using the plan to conform me into the image of His Son. Are you with me? Are you with me? Uh, maybe I can help you. I'm, I mentioned that I, I'm teaching my twins to drive. And, and the reason I give them control of the car is not because I need to go to the grocery store. <laughs> it's like, I need to go to the grocery store. Quick, Zali, Zara, drive me to the grocery store. No, no, 
I use the grocery store as an opportunity to develop some drivers. One got it. See, you approach life like, I gotta go to the grocery store. God's gonna give me the grocery store. Let me find a way to get to the grocery store. It doesn't matter if it's Whole Foods. What's another one? Trader Joe's. No one shops at Safeway. What is, this is Bay Area, guys. This is like Nob Hill. Groceries. Costco. <laughs> Doesn't matter, there's, there's an abundance of destinations. But can you use the journey between here and there to develop the driver? Any excuse. Any pick a destination. Pick a destination. Pick a destination. Not God, what's the destination? Says you pick a destination. Watch what I do on the way to the destination. Watch how I develop you. Watch as I use the bends, the curves, the ups, the downs, the other drivers to shape you. I'm more concerned in the driver than the destination. Sit down, I'm not done. This makes sense as to why God doesn't prevent bad things from happening. If I just taught my girls to drive in our little neighbourhood where there's no cars, I'd keep them safe. But we've got to get out on the road with other crazy drivers. But in the absence of bad drivers, you don't become a good driver. It's the unpredictable things. Not the things you study for, but the things that you can't even predict, but you've got to be attentive to and aware of. God doesn't care where it's going as long as we're in the car and we're on our way. Oh, so good. Makes sense. Even those mistakes become useful in our life to shaping us into the person God is calling us to become. Now, what does this have to do with anxiety? I'm so glad you asked because as we established, anxiety comes from when I'm facing things that are out of my control. Well, since God is sovereign and since God gives us control, we find that when things are out of control, that's when we have to give control back to God. This is, this is a power move of a believer. That you aren't out there just trying to get control of everything. And when you're out of control, because life will do that to you. Live long enough and I can guarantee you that you will find yourself in places in life that are beyond your control. And if you aren't, you're playing it way too safe. You're still in the cul-de-sac in the car with the engine on not moving. God wants to get you moving, which means you're going to encounter some things that are beyond your control, some, some things you haven't experienced. That's my prayer for 2023. God exposed me to new heights. God exposed me to new things. And I know what I'm praying. I'm praying for new pressures. I'm praying for new, new weight to experience. But I want God to push me out there. But I don't want it to be in a way that I get freaked out because God, have I, have I missed the destination? Just because something's out of my control, I don't want to be riddled with anxiety. So one of the hacks of a believer is when you're out of control is when you actually give control. God gives you control in the realm of free will. That's why God gives control. We give God control back to, it's like the principle of the tithe. It's the same fundamental. 
that God gives you finances, will you return 10 to Him to show I got this under control? By giving 10th back, we say, God, I want you to take control. Just like the pastor, bringing tithing into predestination. Well, let me give you another passage. First Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. That means give Him control. Casting all your anxieties on Him is give Him control. How do I give Him control of what I can't control? It's what Peter's saying. Give your anxieties. Well, they're not even mine. They're at me. They're elusive. I'm worried all the time. Don't know what the future holds. Don't even know what my career holds. Don't know the outcome. Don't know the financial situation. There's so many things out of my control. God, what do I do? Give it to Him. Give it to Him. That's what Peter's saying. Cast them. Don't even just give them. Like throw them. Make it physical. Just say, God, they're yours. Anybody ever felt like doing that with your anxieties and the worry and the pressure, like it's built up and after a while you're complaining, everybody you talk to, you can't even say the colloquial good. You know when someone says, how you doing? You're meant to say good. You're not meant to say, well, this is happening and this is happening. You won't get asked anymore. But you know you're carrying pressure when they say, how you doing? Like, would you listen to me? (laughs) You're meant to go to God and say, God, take it. I'm casting it. I have no control. So God, would you take control? I'm bringing it under control. I'm bringing it under control. That's how you get things under control. You bring it under the one that you're under. If I'm under His sovereignty and He has given me control, what I can't control, that's the indicator of what He's meant to control. That's how I find the tension between God's sovereignty and my free will. God says, would you control this? Would you con- oh, you can't control that? Give it back to me. I'll control it. Would you control this? Would you, if you can't control it, give it back to me. It's a partnership that God wants to work out in our life where He will walk with us. He'll give us control. But what we can't control, God says, then give it back to me. The weight is on my shoulders. The same way when I give God control of what I can't, I allow the situations that terrify me to be the very thing that shape me. See, while you're worried about it, it doesn't have any effect in your life. It can't work for you because you're holding it. Worry is the way to hold on to the things that are keeping you anxious. But the very moment you give God control, what I'm not saying is the situation changes but God allows the situation to change you. God allows the situation to deepen something within you, to make you more resilient. Instead of being in the fetal position every night, worried, anxious, riddled about what the next day holds, you have a process to say, God, I'm gonna, I can't control this, God. I can't control them. I can't control that. You know how I many people I speak to that are just so anxious about politics in the United States of America? Like as if the outcome of everything is on you and what you tweet. 
Finally, I repost it. Give it control. Be invested, but give control. And the reason you give control is to get a new perspective. All of a sudden, you get the perspective of heaven and how God can orchestrate even good or bad for our purpose. God, I'm so glad that you're in control. God, I'm so glad that you are guiding, that you are directing, that you're instructing. He says, keep your hands on the wheel. But watch as I guide you. Watch as I direct you. I wonder what things that are permeating already in 2023 that you need to bring under control today. To bring it under control is to give control to God. I feel like a prophetic word today is it's under control if you give Him control. It's under control if you give Him control. While it's in your hands, it might be out of control. But if you would give it to Him, watch as He will use that very thing that has got you riddled with anxiety and worry to bring peace into your life. Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't wanna miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.